Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining, sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, coming to you live from the bitter cold city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Uh, there's some snow out there on the ground. We've had a couple of snowstorms. They said it was going to be mild here in Philly, but uh, we had a couple of small ones dump a few inches and uh, kind of in one day, out the next. Um, but they're talking about having a white Christmas here in Philly and actually the whole Northeast area. So that should be kind of uh, uh, interesting, kind of puts everybody in the holiday spirit. I think it's supposed to snow actually on Christmas Eve, and then we're supposed to have uh, some sort of snow on the ground when we wake up on Christmas. So it'll be nice for the, the kids to wake up and uh, pretty for everybody to uh, enjoy the holiday season, I think, kind of put you in the mood seeing the snow. I have a little bit more shopping to do. I haven't really done most <laughs> or any at all. It kind of sucks. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. So I do want to uh, talk about a few things. We have a great guest coming on. It's a first-timer uh, coming on and sharing his story, uh, Stephen Budworth. Uh, I've known him for a few years uh, online. Uh, there's some conferences we've seen each other, and he's involved with uh, Mr. Fred in Tennessee. Um, so uh, he's definitely a... Uh, an inspiring individual that you uh, don't want to miss his story, so he'll be joining us uh, a little bit uh, later. So I want to talk about a few things. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, just a, a funny story that's happened to me uh, this past week. Uh, in Philadelphia, we have um, a live nativity scene uh, with real animals and things like that, so the kids and the people in the neighborhood in Old City, Philadelphia, um, down near Independence Hall. I think it's like fourth in race. Um, and you know, you can go there and view the live nativity scene, take photos, things of that nature. Well, the other day I was driving into work and it snowed the night before. So there was a little bit of, you know, snow on the ground that was cold. And they were talking about how the cow has escaped from the, the live nativity scene in the city and it was running around on 95. And the funny thing is, is those of you who don't know what 95 is, I-95 is a big interstate that goes up and down the East Coast. And uh, I believe it goes all the way up to Maine and all the way down to Florida. Uh, and I take it south going into the city since I live north, and um, it was kind of funny that there was a cow running around on the road uh, on the main interstate, uh, and then two days later, it, is, it escaped again and was running around in the city, so it was kind of a funny story here in Philly to, to have a, a live cow running around on the highways. Um, kind of, I guess, made you laugh a little bit at four in the morning when you're going into work. So I do want to go ahead. I see our guest is on the line, so I'm going to go ahead and bring Stephen on. I want to talk a little bit about Stephen. Um, his bio is there on the page. Um, if you are listening live, you can go to blogtalkradio.com backslash pauseim or go to pauseimradio.com for all the links. Um, Stephen Budworth is the founder and the president of Team Friendly Tennessee, a nonprofit organization serving Tennessee since 2013 and an extension of the Mr. Friendly campaign. Um, and, of course, we all know about Mr. Friendly. Uh, Dave Watts has been on the show uh, a few of our friends have uh, been on speaking about the amazing campaign. So Stephen runs the organization or the chapter of that uh, campaign in Tennessee. Um, so please help me welcome Stephen Bloodworth to the show. How are you doing today, Stephen? 
I'm doing good, Robert. How are you? I am well. How is the weather in Tennessee? It is cold and dreary. <laughs> snowy? Uh, not snowy, just kind of cold, overcast, a little, little rain. Nice. Nice, nice. So welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on. Um, you're somebody, like I said, who I've known you know, for a few years now through the Positive Living Conference and, and online and your advocacy with Mr. Friendly. Um, that there's so many people that are out there that I want to, you know, reach out to get on the show, and I just happened to grab you, you know, a positive living. I was like, you know, well, I'm doing it this time. I, I have to, you know, get a hold of you. So I've been dying to have you come on and hear your story, so I'm excited to, to have you sit with me, you know, for a little bit today. Oh, I'm just excited to be here and share a little bit about myself. Cool. So, you know, uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, before we went live here, and uh, we were talking about how you've been positive for 30 years, uh, you were sharing a little bit with me how you were diagnosed in 87 um, in Tennessee. And usually we think of a long-term survivor. We think of somebody who, you know, was in the early in the early years who have lost a lot of friends. And when we were speaking, you shared a little bit that wasn't kind of the case with you. Um, tell us a little bit about what your experience was like and what made you get tested and, and kind of how that was for you when you found out you were positive. Well, uh, I had a partner at the time, and uh, I had got the flu, and uh, he suggested that I get an HIV test. Um, of course, back then, uh, you did a blood draw, and you had to wait like two weeks to get the results back. Uh, so it's not an easy two weeks to have to get through to find out what your status is. But um, when the results came back, I received a diagnosis that I was HIV positive. Um, of course, I think we all go through the same things of fear. Uh, what do we do next? What's going to happen? And um, I, I did that too, and uh, I just decided that um, I was just going to live inside my own little bubble and protect myself from any uh, anyone finding out because of the fear of uh, what would happen, uh, the stigma. Even my family, I kept it from them. Um, uh, I decided uh, I was just going to live for the next five years, which I was told that that's probably as long as I would live and just enjoy life for that time. Uh, a little bit, I know 30 years later, I'd still be here. Uh, right, that's amazing that you're still here. Yeah, it was a lot different then because, you know, you uh, the I, I chose at that time not to uh, go on any kind of medications, which at that time there was only AZT, which was, I think, causing more harm than good to a lot of people, uh, which my partner included at the time. Uh, he actually became toxic from it, so I, uh, watch what he went through and I decided um, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that myself. So I just chose not to start any medication. So when was it that you actually um, told maybe, I mean, because you, you talk about the self-stigma and that's kind of something that we all go through, but I have to imagine that the, there was so much more stigma attached to it in 87, you know what I mean, than there is here in 2017, today, 30 years later. I mean, people were actually finding out in dying weeks, you know, months later um so how how does that like how did you tell people like how did you because you said you didn't tell your family right away you kind of wanted to live in this bubble and that's kind of you know we all kind of go through that stage where i know i went through that a few years where i didn't really tell anybody it was more my privacy you know if we weren't doing anything sexually there was no reason for you to know you know what i mean so what how did you start telling people uh, well, it was quite a few years before I was able to. Uh, I only shared with my family, unfortunately, and this is uh, 
was when my partner died. Uh, of course, they didn't know at the time that uh, I was gay or that he was my partner or that he was sick. Uh, but when he died, uh, one of the first questions my family asked was, well, how did he die? So I knew there was a time, that was the time that I was going to have to share my status. And then I told right. them that, uh, you know, he died from AIDS. And their very next question was, what about you? And that was when I had to tell them that I was living with HIV. So that was the first time wow. I shared with anyone. Was Right. So it's kind of like a, in, you know, a double coming out for you sitting down at that time, yes, and, you know, in 80, and in 87, that's even harder because you, you not only feared that your kid was gay because there was a virus that they could quote unquote catch that was, you know, the gay disease, but then, you know what I mean? Then to have to sit down and also tell them that, yes, this is the situation I am, you know, gay, but I also now, you know, am HIV positive in 87. That's a difficult conversation. I can imagine. It is. And and when I look back on that now, uh, I kind of regret that I didn't tell them earlier because they were so supportive. And I think I missed out on that between the time I was diagnosed until I told them. Uh, I think I missed out on having my family support, which I guess there goes back to the stigma and fear of what will my family think? Well, will they disown me? Will they have nothing to do with me? And it wasn't that case. I I kind of regret not telling them earlier. What was the what was the time frame in between you know when you were diagnosed and how long you waited to tell them? Uh, so I was diagnosed in eighty seven. I told them in ninety six. So. Oh wow! So like nine years. Nine years, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of times we do. We we place that stigma. We think that our family isn't going to be supportive, and you know it's kind of ironic that in the end it, it worked out. And I'm sure that they're still supportive to this day. Oh, absolutely. Right. Very, all, all, my family, all my family is just like, and like I said, or again, I said I missed out on that in the early days, but uh, now it's just I'm thankful that they are. Right. So when did you actually, so you were diagnosed with 87 and you didn't go on, on treatment right away. You know, you kind of spoke about the AZT and, and you saw how that was kind of toxic. Um, when did you actually start medication? Uh, this is going to sound kind of, I didn't start medication until 2003, so I lived quite a few years without medication. No, I believe and, that. I know. Was, um, go ahead. I think, ahead, uh, you know, I look I look back on that and I think uh, God should have started earlier. Would it have made a difference? Um, I, you know, you kind of wonder that. You can't help but wonder, well, should I? Would it have been different? But... I look back now and think, well, I'm doing okay, and so maybe it was the right decision, but you never know. Yeah, it's funny because I was looking back, and you know how Facebook kind of gives you those memories, and it, it uh, posted this uh, note. <laughs> that was back when Facebook first started, and, and you were able to write notes on people's walls, and you know it was kind of like a blog post, and, and, and it talked about when I started my medication, and it was actually, I, I was diagnosed in 2001, and I didn't start my meds until uh, 2009. But there's a lot of people, you know, that journey from being diagnosed to getting treatment is, is different for everybody. Um, I know I know a, a personal friend of mine who's, who's close to me who, you know, who's been positive just as long as you and, you know, did the same process of having, you know, 15, you know, 20 years until they waited to get on medication. And, and you know, they're fine and undetectable and thriving today, like you. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's very true. And, you know, I think now they encourage people to start the moment they as early as they can, you know, probably within mm -hmm. weeks or after their diagnosis. But uh, 
you know, who knows if that would have been a. I was just going to say that, especially now with with the CDC and everybody, you know, backing uh, the Prevention Access Campaign and Bruce Richmond and the U equals U, it, it kind of it makes sense to get on treatment right away. You know, before it was kind True, of like, oh, absolutely. well, you just wait until. And now it's just like, no, you want to get on it so you know that you're taking care of your health, you're being responsible, and you're not going to, you know, um, possibly, you know, pass the virus on to somebody else. Right. Uh, and actually, uh, I started on medications because my uh, viral lobe, uh, I was not undetectable. My uh, viral was not in a good place. And uh, they, I actually got an AIDS diagnosis, you know, you, when you fall within a certain number. So uh, that was when I realized, okay, I guess it is time to start. And wonder if maybe I started before that, I would have not reached that diagnosis. But it is what it is. <laughs> Right. No, everything happens for a reason, you know. It's kind of a, a a process for for you to go through, and I think it it works. Whatever it, you did is what you were supposed to do. I mean, this is you know your journey, and you're here, you know, doing what you're doing. So it. So you were you were talking. You, you told your family. You said you said oh three. Is that right? No, ninety six. I'm sorry. Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. You started meds in 03. Now, have you been on the same regimen the whole time, or have, have you changed quite a few times? I know because oh, medication is a, lot, is a tricky thing with people, and a lot of people fear to start meds because of side effects. But with, you know, all the progression in, in meds, it's kind of, you know, I'm curious of how you've dealt with your, your meds. Has there been a few? Yeah, I, I've been on three different regimens. Uh, I actually was, uh, the first one I was on was, uh, I don't know if you remember, Calitra. Which was uh, oh, I heard I heard shield. stories about that one. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, stories. that was that was one of the first ones I was on, and you had to keep it chilled, and which was kind of a pain. <laughs> and uh, then they changed the format for that, and uh, the formula for that, and you didn't have to any longer. But then uh, my doctor decided to change uh, my regimen, and I went on Trivada, and uh, stayed on mm. that for quite a while actually, and. Uh, until I started having some issues with the kidney issues, and they noticed the change, so he decided to change. And, and now I'm on um, Isentris and Discovery, which is the new version of Karate, so to speak. No, that's funny, because I was just at my doctor's uh, this past week, and for the last two uh, appointments that I've had, they've, he's brought up this, we've had this conversation of switching my medications from I take Travada and Isentris, um, and he wanted me to switch it to um, Discovy and Icentris. And see, I take my medications a little differently. I don't know why my original HIV doctor uh, prescribed it to me this way, but I take my Truvada and then I take my two Icentris at the same time. Where other people will take a Truvada and a Centris in the morning and then the, the other second Icentris at night. But for some reason, my original infectious disease doctor said, try it this way and I've been doing it that way and I've been undetectable you know what I mean for for yeah. eight nine years there you go yeah I, I take it the way you were talking about I take I used to take my Travada and I sent in the morning and then the, the other I sent at night and even now I'm still taking uh, my Discovery my one in the morning and my other uh, I sent at night so it seems to work better yeah they were like I said I, I've reached the same goal as becoming undetectable. So, 
Well, that's the main point. You know, one of the things that he was telling me is that because I take the two iCentrists at the same time, that they actually created, I, I guess, a new iCentrist that it's still called iCentrist, but it, it's the double dose in one pill, so I don't have to take three pills instead of two. But he keeps giving me this conversation because of the Travada, like you said, with kidney issues and then, you know, with, with a lot of the bone loss that people are experiencing with Travada. Well, yeah, actually, I had that too. I just failed to mention that. Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, osteoporosis, and which is very unusual for a male to be diagnosed with that. And But me being in my 50s, they said it's not unheard of, but it's quite unusual. So I had to start medication for that. I had to start taking Fosamax for that, which luckily this past, about a month ago, I was able to uh, stop taking that because I've had a lot of bone improvement, which is... And that's more than likely was caused by the Travada that was taken. Ah, I see. Okay, well, listen, let's take a quick break here and uh, uh, shoot over to uh, Josh Robinson here this week's HIV Scoop, and we will be right back with Stephen Budworth. Hold on. This is the all-new HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusively for Pause I Am Radio. This week's buzzworthy sexual health news in under two minutes. Here's Josh Robbins with this week's HIV Scoop. Well, hey, hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> How are y'all? Robert. Robert, have you mailed my Christmas gift yet? It is almost time. Wait, are are you getting me the same thing you got me last year? Nothing, because I still have plenty of it left over. Ain't that just some... Mm. <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, happy holidays to everyone. Here's this week's HIV scoop. According to Clinical Advisor, HIV is being diagnosed sooner after initial un- infection than in previous years, according to a new report from the CDC. And it is published in the medical journal Vital Signs. So here's what that means. In 2015, the estimated medium time from initial HIV infection to actual diagnosis of living with HIV was three years. But in 2011, the median time from from infection to diagnosis was three years, seven months. So in four years, we shaved off seven months on average. I'm going to say that's what's up. Who's going to be mad at that? No, 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 body. No body. So let's keep that awareness up, y'all. All All right, next, living with HIV and taking daily meds is our norm, right? Okay, it should be. Many of us think that the side effects of the virus or the medication, like terrible sleep or diarrhea, is something that we have to live with. Well, a few weeks ago, myself, David Duran, Tez Anderson, we helped Napo Pharmaceuticals, who I am a paid consultant for, conduct a survey of more than 350 people living with HIV, and the results from the survey were a tad surprising and a lot sobering. The survey shows diarrhea remains prevalent in people that are living with HIV and AIDS. 83% of the respondents reported that they had diarrhea currently or they had it in the past. 61 reported having this shitty side effect for more than five years. This is crazy. Only 31% said that doctors asked them about diarrhea without them having to bring it up. We need that standard of care added. Doctors need to start asking people living with HIV, about this. The full survey is available on my website, imstilljosh.com. Check it out. I'm Josh Robbins. This was your HIV Scoop.
And there you have it. Thank you, Josh Robbins. For more information on Josh and all the, the HIV scoops, please go to amstilljosh.com. Um, stay tuned. A little bit later, we'll be hearing uh, some positive messages from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Uh, I'll be playing some of those later. So we are back live here with Stephen Bloodworth. Stephen, are you there? I'm still here. Cool. So listen, let me talk about how you got involved with Mr. Friendly. First, tell us um, what Mr. Friendly is for people who are not familiar, and then it kind of explain how you got involved um, with Mr. Friendly, Tennessee. Well, uh, I think a lot, like you said earlier, a lot of people have heard of Mr. Friendly or know what it is, but uh, for those that don't, Mr. Friendly uh, is a campaign that uh, fights the stigma of HIV. Uh, we try to do this in a friendly way and uh, one conversation at a time and uh, basically just let people know uh, we're here for you, whether you're positive or negative. And the most important thing about HIV is to have conversations about it. And that's what we try to encourage people to do. What a what a great um, what a great mission. I mean, you know the the logo for those who are maybe uh, watching it online uh, or googling uh, Mr. Friendly right now, you're going to see the the friendly face right with uh, the plus sign as the uh, the nose and uh, the negative sign as the plus sign it's winking at us, which promotes conversation. And I think that the logo is incredible. It's simple, it's easy to remember, and it doesn't necessarily have a red ribbon. And I think that's kind of what makes it stand apart from, you know, other uh, logos like, you know, other uh, things like that. Yeah, you know, the Mr. Friendly Face is kind of the conversation starter because a lot of people see that and they're curious and they'll ask questions about, oh, what is that? So that leads into the uh, conversations that you can have with people where you can explain to them exactly what it means and hopefully that will be the start of the conversation. Now, you own something that I adore, which is a Mr. Friendly dog. <laughs> yeah, the Mr. Friendly pup. Yes, I think everybody loves the yeah. pup. Yeah, that's, uh, you, that's really, really cool. That's another I'm thing sorry, when, we're we're at, when we're doing a, I said that's another thing. When we're doing events and we have the pup uh, there with us, uh, that draws people in because the people love the pup and they love to have their picture taken with the pup. So... There again, it helps us uh, initiate those conversations. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that I love is uh, the, the shirts. You know how there's different the the, the Mr. Friendly Face is put on on many different uh, you know uh, animals and <laughs> and and you know there's 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 been logos made for each I believe each state right or wherever you have a chapter you have a different uh, a logo. There's been ones for the holidays. I mean it, it's it's really a creative way to to start the conversation. Yeah, it is, and that's one of the things I was drawn to about about Mr. Friendly was the face itself at first, and then uh, hearing exactly what it did, and it kind of sparked an interest. A little bit about how I discovered Mr. Friendly was actually you mentioned earlier about positive living. Uh, the first year I attended was in 2013, and that's actually the one that I met you. Um, right. There was a presentation. There was a presentation done about stigma by Jeff Allen and Jack Garcia. And during the presentation, uh, Jack talked about Mr. Friendly. And when I heard about what it is and what it did, uh, it just really sparked an interest in me. And I thought, I would like to do this in Tennessee. Uh, so after the presentation, I went up and spoke to Jack, and he gave me information and gave me his card. And uh, I will add now that Jack has become one of my probably best friends. But um, I came back to Tennessee and thought, okay, how do I do this? <laughs> I had no clue. I had no clue how to get this started. Uh, 
Uh, so I started by first thing I did was took $25 and bought a hundred buttons and started handing out buttons and explaining to people what it was. And it kind of snowballed. And that's how the there. whole ten. Oh, that's awesome! And did, that's did, how... did, now, where did you go to hand these buttons out at? I'm sorry. Where did you go and hand these buttons out at? Uh, at first, actually, this is kind of funny. I, the first event that I ever did was uh, World's Aid Day in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, that was where uh, I met uh, Larry Frampton. Larry Frampton offered me some space to come up on a, one of their tables, and all I had was a button, and I had a sign that I made myself and uh, uh, printed out some cards and handed out cards explaining what Mr. Frampton was and handed out buttons, and that was just the uh, first time. And from there, it's kind of grew from there um i knew at that point that i was gonna it was gonna i needed finance some finance to, to help start this to to expand it and um i hadn't quite done a fundraiser and um so i don't know if you've heard of the sisters of perpetual indulgence uh there's a house here in uh Nashville called the music city sisters and uh they're actually huge supporters of mr friendly uh they all wear their their buttons on their outfits and stuff and uh they did a, a fundraiser for me uh and raised money to help me purchase merchandise to to advance the cause wow that's awesome so it all started from a conference yes all started from the positive and conference yeah i mean that's what's Which so great about a- that conference you know we were speaking a little bit before how, you know, Butch McKay and everyone down at Oasis puts that conference on. And, you know, that's one of those conferences you don't ever want to miss when it comes around. You know, you were talking about it. You were saying that it's your, it, it, it's kind of the one that you don't ever miss. Uh, yeah, every year I make a list of conferences uh, <clears throat> that I might be interested in attending, and that's always on the top of my list. Yeah, and then you can't beat where it's located at either. Oh, no, the, the, the location is wonderful. <laughs> And then we've yeah, had some lucky times, but we, we, there's been fortunate times that we were there when the weather was nice. <laughs> so yeah, we able to spend some beach time. Yeah, usually the weather's really nice there. Um, whenever I've gone, I mean, I think I've gone there four times, um, and I've always had good weather. You know, a little bit of rain, but rain doesn't hurt nobody. It's still pretty to look out no. at the ocean. You know, and, true, and connect with people, true. which is what it's all about. So uh, let's take a quick little break here and play uh, one of our positive messages from our friend Bob Leahy uh, for Positive Light. Um, and uh, we'll be right back with Steve Flugler. Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm from Walkworth, Ontario, a little uh, rural community of uh, 700 people. So I'm a, a rural POS guy. And I've been POS for 23 years now. And... Um, so I'm a long-term survivor, and I'm kind of proud of that. And I'm proud of all long-term survivors out there. So hi, long-term survivors. Want to want to lift my hat to you. Uh, but I also want to lift my hat to to people who've joined us along the way uh, and offer encouragement and support and love because um, I think you have real opportunities here as a person living with HIV to live the kind of life that you wanted, always wanted to do, um, to make a difference. Uh, to throw off the shame, uh, to realize what you want to do, uh, and and if you want to help and encourage others, just as uh, Kevin is asking us to film videos to to support others, um, you have that kind of opportunity too. So Kevin's onto a good idea. 
Um, I think what I like about this is that it emphasizes that we are part of a community. We are here for each other. We're here to support each other and to learn from each other. And I kind of like that. Um, it's an opportunity uh, that comes with HIV, and I, I've grabbed it, and, and, and I hope you will too. So enjoy um, being part of a community that can offer you so much and which has the opportunity for you to offer so much. Um, be well. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the HIV community. It's quite wonderful. And there you have it. Thank you, Bob and Kevin Maloney from Rise Up to HIV for this week's positive message. And we are back live. This is Robert. Um, and I am joined by Stephen Bloodworth. Uh, hello, Stephen. Hey, Robert. All right, you're there. Cool. All right, let's, um, so, you know, one of the things that we were talking uh, earlier at the top of the hour is how you, when you were first diagnosed, you kind of put yourself in this bubble of self-stigma. And then now in 2017, 30 years later, you are, the, the president and the founder of the Team Friendly Tennessee um, team. And it, it's doing the exact, it's doing, it's fighting that stigma that you, you know, lived in for so long, which is kind of ironic. Uh, how does that feel to kind of come full circle and be like, I can't believe I was this way and now I'm this way? Oh, it feels wonderful. It feels wonderful to know that you could, I can be open about my status now when I couldn't before and, uh, not afraid to share it and not afraid to talk about it. Uh, I think that's one of the big things for a lot of people that are living with HIV that are still afraid to do. And uh, it's, it's it's a great feeling. Um, I kind of got started late when it comes to being involved with anything. I was, I mean, going, I'm 57 years old and I've only been an activist for like four years now. But uh, someone, someone told me recently uh, when I said I got started late in life, they said, well, it doesn't matter when you got started the only thing that matters is that you did. Right. That sounds like something Butch would say. <laughs> it does. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> well, you know, oh, the funny thing funny. is, it, the funny thing is, it came from someone that was uh, only been positive for six years. And I'm thinking, here, oh, wow. you have as much, uh, you are more knowledgeable than I am at 57. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's funny. So, so what um what events or things do you have coming up with Mr. Friendly? Um, you know, anything coming up for the holidays or, or things of that nature? Well, we did, we take the holidays off. You know, we take December off, and we don't usually do a lot of events except, of course, World AIDS Day. We always do that. And we just recently our team did a uh, holiday party for ourselves so that we can get some time just to spend together. Um, uh, going into the new year, we'll have we do several um local uh, fundraising events at some of the local bars here and we do we do like to do one in January which we call make a friendly promises where you you make a promise to uh, have a conversation with someone about HIV and that's kind of one of my favorite events that we do every year uh we do it at one of the So local so so bars wait, wait, wait tell tell me more about that so, so so at the event you make a promise that you're going to have a conversation about HIV with somebody is it once a day once a week or just one time uh, actually, there. Well, actually, there. I don't think there's a time limit uh -huh. on when. It's just, it's just uh, as many as you I would like to. I guess. Uh, like a, I just wasn't sure if there was like a, so often that you promised, you know, to, to make that that pact to do it. Yeah, you just yeah, you just promise to you know talk to someone. Um, kind of, we kind of do it in January because we kind of like to do it around when people make their New Year's resolutions about what they want to change or what they want to do for the New Year's and. Uh, 
that's kind of like make a resolution and make a promise at the same time. So uh, it's kind mm. of kind of a fun event we do. Uh, can, we kind of do it along the lines of you've seen where people will, will sign a little uh, paper with their name on it, and we uh, post it somewhere for people to see that the, this person made a promise to do this. And, uh, there are actually uh, oh, that's cool. three things that. Uh, there's three things that we ask them to do when they make this friendly promise, and one is to, you know, pass on the friendly message uh, and, uh, you know, be stigma-free with three friends and uh, help promote testing and encourage your friends to get tested and just offer a friendship and support for those that are living with HIV. Cool. Now, if, if people are interested in um, maybe making a donation to your chapter, I don't know, do they call it chapters? I don't want to keep calling it chapter. Your team. Um, in uh, in Tennessee, or to Mr. Friendly in general, uh, they can go to just mrfriendly.org, correct? Well, that's the, that's the main Mr. Friendly site. Uh, Team Friendly Tennessee has um, our own website, and it's uh, of course teamfriendlytennessee.org. Um, uh, okay. You know, some of the team some teams have their separate website, but the mrfriendly.org is the main Mr. Friendly website. So that's the one that David what does. So. Okay. I'm pulling up your website now. No, I just wanted to, to make sure I had it so I can uh, tweet it out later. So teamfriendlytennessee.org, they can go there and make, you know, help you guys out. And yep. they can purchase um, pins and, and, and T-shirts, or can you purchase that at, at, on any of the, the team websites? Actually, we have a link that will direct you to that, but if you want to make a purchase of any of the merchandise, you do go to the mrfriendly.org. So. Okay, yeah, I see it right here, actually. I just clicked it on your on your website. There's pins and... Awesome, yeah. I love the pins. They're always conversation starters. People always ask me when I have them on, you know, what does it mean? So I think it's kind of, uh, it's awesome. Oh, and they have awesome ones. Look, they have, I'm sitting here looking at uh, the T-shirts, and it's, uh, uh, it takes a friendly village, which is kind of cool, like off the village people. And then they're, thank you for being a friend of the Golden Girls. I mean, there's a lot of cool ideas here that people can go in and help this great cause. So I think it's it's incredible. So we're down to the last couple of minutes, Stephen. Is there um, any other uh, topics or anything coming up that you want to speak about before I ask my final question? <laughs> Actually, the, the the next thing I'll be doing, which is, I wouldn't like to say it's a Mr. Friendly event, but uh, is the AIDS Watch. It comes up in uh, March, uh, which is uh, an event that they do in, in uh, Washington, D.C., where you go up and you speak to your legislator about issues related to HIV, and I've done that for three years, I think. Um, that was one of the events that uh, Larry Frampton encouraged me to attend, and after the first year, I thought, you know, this is a, probably a very important event to get a chance to let legislators know what's important for people living with HIV. Yeah, that that event is important, and doing that kind of work, speaking with the Congress people, that's something that Larry does really well and and you know he's been doing it for so long i i see him at the adap conferences um and actually i think we met at adap too a few times didn't we uh no because i've never been to adap that's one of the few that oh, i've really? attended so yeah i thought maybe i saw you there too so um okay so yeah so i know uh larry is very and that work is hard you know for me it's not something that i can necessarily do i'm not Put it this way: Larry is very is better is better well spoke is more well spoken to do something like that and a little bit more educated with history and things of that nature. And oh, we each have a certain part, yeah. you know what I mean. And, and he does that so well, you know what I mean. And oh, yeah. I applaud him because I can't do that. 
he's been doing it for 25 years. So, you know, he's actually the a policy director for the AIDS organization here in Nashville now. So that's what he does every day. So, and he's there are a lot of great activists out there in Tennessee. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah, proud of that. there's a lot of great activists out there. You know, I think Brady's yeah, out there, of... Josh is out there, Larry, you. You guys are, that's, that's an awesome set of people out there that you guys have. Uh, yeah, speaking of Brady, he's he's become one of the strongest advocates I've uh, seen in a long time. Uh, he's very very passionate about the U equals U campaign, so uh, that seems to be his mission. Yeah, I'm actually uh, excited to have him. He's going to be coming on the show um, after the new year. Because that was my oh, plan. After the new one. year, um, all, all, yeah, all the guests I want to have is I kind of want to have I don't want to kind of have duplicate guests, somebody who I've had on before. I like to have new guests so I can, uh, you know, get fresh stories out there and content for people to hear. Um, but sometimes there's amazing people who, you know, have updates like Larry when he was on last season. You know, I, I, I love Larry and I want to know, you know, what's going on because it's been yeah. so long since we've reconnected. So, you know, it's just it's great. I'm excited to have it on. And kind of having you on is that, that the first show that I'm going to be kicking off with, you know, fresh stories, people who – you know, you you haven't heard on this program before, and that's kind of what I my promise to the the people for next season. So listen, here's my final question for you. One, um, well, actually, I have two. I just want to confirm the website. It was uh, you said, well, the the website was again team friendly, Tennessee. Team org, Tennessee right? Org. Yeah. Right. Right. And then they can find you and contact you. Um, how do you want people to find you? Is through the website there, or should they look for you? Are you on Facebook or Twitter? Well, they can go to Facebook, or web, uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, any message sent there, I would get. Uh, we also have an email address. It's teamfriendlytennessee at gmail.com. And uh, there's, either one of those ways is a good way to reach me. There you have it. So here, my last question to you, and that I usually ask every guest is, if somebody newly diagnosed walked up to you today and asked you for advice, what would you tell them? Uh, oh, that's a tough question. Um, I have people share their status with us, and I always try to just show encouragement. I think, uh, you know, just be there to support someone. And uh, they, they're going to have lots of questions, and they're they're going to be in a situation where they're, you know, what do I do? And I just like to, I just like to be there to support them. And that's part of what Mr. Fernie does. We support people living with HIV. And I've had several people walk up to us when we're doing an event and they say, uh, be the first time that they've shared their status with anyone. And uh, I always find that very, uh, one of the special things about Mr. Fernie is when people feel that they can trust and trust you to share their status. So I just like to be supportive. Uh, just let them know that, you know, things are going to be okay. And a lot of times when I tell people that, you know, I've been living it for 30 years, I, I like to think that's kind of comforting to let them know that, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, especially knowing that you've, you know, been living with it for 30 years. That's uh, a lot of hope that you offer sharing that uh, so publicly. One other question, since I'm reading the end of your bio, and I forgot to, to talk about this. Tell me about your dog, Russell. What kind of dog is it? <laughs> is he? He's an American rat carrier. He's a, he's a, He's a mess. No, he's a a wonderful <laughs> mess, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And how old? Yeah, is he's he? actually he's he's just gonna he's turn twelve. He's he's like me. He's a senior citizen. <laughs> yeah. I love dogs. Yeah. Dogs are great great companions, and they don't talk back usually. <laughs> this is true. They only show unconditional love. <laughs> that's, that's that's right. The thing about them. That's right. 
And that's something that we all need living with HIV is unconditional love. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for sitting with me this hour and, and sharing your story. It's been a lot of hope that we've offered a lot of people. And I hope, um, you know, people contact you and make donations to the Team Friendly so you guys can get out there and start, you know, breaking down more walls of stigma. Oh, and thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, anytime you have anything going on, you can always contact me and let me know. and We'll be more than happy to have you come on and speak about it. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I hope you have a great day and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, you too, Mike. Robert. And if I don't, I know, I know I won't see you, but uh, have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You too. <laughs> and there you have it. Today's guest, Stephen Barber from Team Friendly Tennessee. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I had a great, great, great show. I thought uh, Stephen is uh, very inspiring and does Uh, Great stuff with Mr. Friendly. And it's so great to see somebody who, um, you know, kind of started out being diagnosed and and dealing with stigma that he kind of placed on himself and not wanting to tell anybody to kind of, you know, blossoming into this activist 30 years later, you know, um, and, and, you know, running Team Friendly Tennessee. It's it's a great thing. So uh, more information on on Mr. Friendly, go to mrfriendly.org. More information on Stephen. You can find him on Facebook and Team Friendly Tennessee. You can go to TeamFriendlyTennessee.org. More information on myself and the radio show and every episode 300 plus that we've had before. You can go to PauseIamRadio.com. I am Robert. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Pause I Am Radio, your dose of hope. Connect with the show at PauseIamRadio.com or on social media, and we'll see you next time.